right, so just to let you know, we we try when we did the wedding thing, everybody said they really liked it because everybody could get right to the center. So we took some chairs out. We actually we moved some stuff on the sides. So we actually only lost about five chairs in the room, which we can't afford to lose right now. But so I just got complained about. So they can't all sit together anymore. And I spit. Yeah, it's right there. So, I, so actually, I'm, I'm asking, asking, I'm doing a democratic thing here. So, do you guys like it like that? Because people, you guys are sitting right in the middle. Okay. I mean, because this, see, ha. Uh, anybody not like it? No. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Element. If you are new, this is how it goes on Sunday morning. Uh, there are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. Uh, if you have a smartphone, you get an app called Uversion, and in that app, you click on Live. It'll bring us up by GPS. You'll get all the sermon notes, the verses, and the questions as well. Uh, I got two things before we get going. And the first one, as Kirsten was talking about the, the pumpkin killing, because it's like a, it's a, it's a men's sponsored activity, and so we're going to kill these. We're going to cut them off the vine, open them up, pull the guts out. Pumpkin killing, that's what we're doing. Uh, but after the pumpkin killing's done, we're actually going to go out to a place that's about two miles from where we're doing the pumpkin carving. And this guy has 20 acres, and we're going to invite you to make your best launcher. Right? And so you can think about, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make like a pneumatic cannon. I'm going to make a trebuchet. I'm going to make, I don't know, a surgical tubing with... An old pair of underwear, you know, whatever. I don't, you know, whatever you got. You know, we're gonna re- make your own launcher. We're gonna see who goes the farthest. We'll give you a prize for who can shoot it the farthest. And uh, if, if we can uh, keep a good safety measure involved in this, okay, safety measure involved. There may even be some shotguns involved. And some of you guys went. I am never coming back to this church again in my life. What's going on here? Uh, the, the second thing is this. Um, we try to be very physically responsible, hopefully with our money here, and we try to do once or twice a year a staff retreat where we take our staff and our elders and we go and we plan what we think the future development should look like. Uh, the last couple of years we've done this, we had to rent a house in Santa Margarita, and it's getting very expensive for us. So I'm just throwing it out there. If any of you know of a house that's about like five bedrooms that's outside of Santa Maria somewhere that we could get fairly cheaply or free... You know, that's because that's like, you know, the best nation in the world is donation, right? right. <laughs> if we can find a place like that, that'd be awesome. Just come and let me know, and we will talk to whoever we need to talk to you with that. Why don't you stand there reading to God's Word? We are starting a new series today, so this is how we go. Matthew 14, 31 says this, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, that's Peter, saying, Oh, you have little faith, why did you doubt? Let's pray. Father, this morning I ask that you would make us a people who understand the limitations of our faith and yet the faith that you long to give to us that grows beyond the boundaries of what we can even imagine and that we would take your hand and we would walk into the places that you call us to walk because you are our great and good and gracious God. Amen. Have a seat. So again, as I said, we are starting a new series. We took all the other decorations down. Some of you are very happy. Some of you are like really sad because... None of that. The, the, the drummer is always very happy with that because that last one sucked up all the heat and just made him sweat the entire time. The curtains work a little better. This is a topical series. We're going to call it the people of hope. Uh, when I say who's the people of hope, who is that? 
Uh, excellent. That is us, you and I. Things in our world, they look terrible. The jobless rate is over 10%. If you have a business, it's very hard to keep it going these days. Whether you're for or against what the government's doing, it's it's not good. Uh, American Idol is the number one show, right? We're just this, Things are not good right now. We, But we are called to be a people who do not fret, we do not worry, we do not fear, because we have a greater hope. In the book of Romans, Paul speaks about people in the midst of persecution, and he says this in Romans 12, 2. He says, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. That is what a people of hope, the people of God, supposed to look like. But many times, that's not actually how we live. It's not how we look. Because Quite honestly, it's very hard to trust God when situations are very tough. It's hard to be a people who always have hope, right? Okay. Okay. Now, sometimes I think, you know, if Jesus stood right next to me in the flesh and walked everywhere with me, I would just be okay. It would be wonderful. It would make it so much easier. But when you look at the scriptures, that's not actually so true. Open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 14. This is a story that you probably heard a hundred times. Today you'll get it 101 and be happy about it. Or your money back, I swear. Uh, This is the famous story of Peter walking on the water. This is someone who lived with Jesus, who walked with Jesus, who was taught with Jesus. In Matthew 14, starting in verse 22, it says this, Immediately he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from from the land beaten by the waves, for the wind was against it. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! Exclamation point. And they cried out in fear. So the disciples are a couple miles from land. They're in essentially a rowboat, a couple miles from land, and a big storm hits. The words beaten by the waves literally means tormented. In Greek, it means like to vex with grievous pains. And I was trying to think the best way to illustrate this to you. And so it would be like if you are my age, you know, you hit your 40s, and, and, you, and you drive down the road, and you see Wiener Central, and you think a chili dog's a good idea, right? So you pull over, and you go, I want to get a chili dog. And you buy a chili dog, and an hour later, you are indisposed, Sweating, going, oh, I shouldn't have eaten the chili dog, right? That's, that's vexed, grievous pains, buffeting. That, that is what this is on the outside hitting the boat. This is what is happening with them. And in the middle of these vexed with grievous pains, water hitting the boat, a figure comes walking to them on the water. And people go, oh, why were they so afraid? It's a ghost. Why don't they recognize that was Jesus? Because it's being buffeted by a storm. And here comes, we'd be the same thing with crowd, just like little girls. It's a ghost! Which is exactly what they did. You've got to let that sink in. Verse 27, But immediately Jesus spoke to them, saying, Hey, girls, knock it off. He says, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. This is so like us. We think when we follow Jesus, everything's going to be wonderful and great. No, Jesus takes us through storms because it builds hope. Many times when we're in the thick of it, Jesus says to us, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. In the storm, many times we get to see him more clearly. Verse 28, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. Understand this. You have to understand a rabbi's relationship with his disciples. Okay? A, a disciple wanted to be just like his rabbi, and the rabbi had students with him who he thought could be just like them. So he trains them to live and walk and do exactly what he does. And so when Peter sees Jesus walking on the water, what does he want to do? What does he want to do? Ah, you're like a bunch of white people or something. 
They want to walk on the water. That's what he wants. That's what he wants to do. So he says, you know, tell me to come to you on, on the water. And that's what he does. Verse 29, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. Now, many modern Christians who read this think, why did the other 11 stay in the boat? I think that's stupid people to say that because we all would have stayed in the boat. We're all scum. I'm not getting out of the boat. There's a terrible storm. We like it easy. Whenever things get hard for us, we cry out, God, why? Wow, that's what we do. There's a ferocious storm. Today's Christian bookstores will be full of books on when God wants you to walk on the water, he'll calm all the storms. When God wants you to have hope, everything's going to be easy. No, when God calls you to walk or God calls you to have hope, there's usually a reason to have hope. Things are usually the exact opposite of comfortable and easy. And I like the picture of Peter here. I think, I think it's like a little kid trying to walk for the first time, hanging onto that coffee table, and the parents are going, come on, come to me. And it's like, if I let go, I'm going to go face first into the carpet. I mean, that's what little kids, I think, are going on inside of their head. You know, but Peter, he abandoned himself to the power of Jesus, and it's the first time a human being walks on water. I wish I, I think this is what, I think it was like this. Jesus is over here. Come to me, Peter. And Peter's like, gets out of the boat. I don't know how the gun will, how the gun will, but, you know, whatever. I think he's like this. I think, that's what, I think he's really excited. He's like, yeah, I think the disciples in the butt are going, wow, Peter's doing it. That's, that's kind of amazing. And that's what he abandoned himself to the power of Jesus. But then it says, verse 30, but when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Lord, save me. He gets terrified. He begins to sink. But if you notice, the only thing that changed in the whole story is Peter's focus. Same Jesus, same boat, same storm, same wind and waves. And the only thing that changes is Peter's focus. Verse 31, Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly you are the Son of God. And though Peter's faith and hope falters jesus never does he catches peter and holds him in his arms and brings him safe now this is what we're going to look at as the people of hope images of hope of people throughout the scriptures over the next few weeks you'll see some people and some portraits and they probably don't look exactly like you think they would but it's going to be hopefully amazing hope is the greek word elpis and it means favorable or confident expectation it has to do with the future the anticipation of the good uh, the best way I can illustrate this for you that I could think of is going snowboarding. A lot of people like the, the, to hear the words going snowboarding. You have a snowboarding trip. Inevitably, somebody signs up who has never been snowboarding because they want to tell their friends, I went snowboarding. Now, I, when you go snowboarding, the first place they take you is onto this bunny hill. And they say, on the bunny hill, hold the rope. You go up and down. It's, it's real nice. And I hate the bunny hill. I try and convince every person who ever goes snowboarding with me, the best way to learn is to get on the lift, which they've never done, go to the top of the hill, which they've never done, and find your way down. Because you've got to get down, and so you're going to learn how to do it. On the bunny hill, you can give up and walk over and hang out in the cafe all day. When you're at the top of the mountain, you've got to get yourself down the mountain. We used to do youth camps, and I and had a bunch of kids up one time, and this girl got to the top of the lip, and it comes around, and she doesn't let go, and she's just hanging on it like this as it goes around the corner. <laughs> so they stop the lift. Everybody's waiting on the lift, and I walk over, and I go, hey, you know, you got to let go. And she goes, look, you're my pastor, but if you don't get away from me, you will meet Jesus face to face today. <laughs> and I'm like, 
Okay, now the best advice I ever heard from a pro snowboarder is he said, don't look down because when no, new snowboarders begin to look down, they panic because they think the hill is just too steep. So it's like, don't look down. If you see a tree, turn. That, that's what you do. The, the first time I went snowboarding, I tried to aim for little kids because they cushion the fall. When, when you go down, you can also do that. Now, Peter, just like most people, have hope and faith until they face a hill or a storm for the first time, until they begin to look down. All hope departs. The confident expectation of good things goes out the window, and they fulfill their own expectations, and they fall a lot. The word hope is used 85 times in the New Testament. Only five of those are in the Gospels. And I think that's because Jesus, who was the object of our hope, was actually present with the disciples. And it is Paul who most carefully examines hope and develops its meaning for the New Testament age. In the New Testament, unlike the Old Testament, our hope is clearly explained. The Old Testament, it's considered a mystery. In the New Testament, we are told the wonders God has in store for his people. In Romans 15:13, Paul has this prayer. He says, may the God of hope feel you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. In Colossians 1, Paul speaks of the creation of all things and that God reveals himself to his people, this mystery. Colossians 1, 27, he says, to them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches and glory of this mystery which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Just like Peter, the early church, just like Paul, the hope that we have is found in Christ. He is the ground on which we base our hope. Jesus should be the focus of our lives for our hope to be vibrant and infectious to those around us. But we too often live like Peter, the way he did, and we lose focus and look at everything else but Christ. I mean, Peter gets out of the boat. We don't know if Jesus said anything to him. I would imagine Jesus is like a, a good ski instructor going, look at me. Don't look down over here. You know, look, look this way, Peter. You're, you're, you're doing okay. One foot in front of the other. And however long it happened, we don't know, but Peter walked on the water. But then three things happened. The first thing is the focus of his attention shifted and went from Jesus to the storm, which secondly turns into he becomes frightened. His hope turns into fear, which in three turns out to him crying like a little girl and saying, Lord, save me, which we all should at times actually say, Lord, save me. Kind of reminds me of the Roadrunner cartoon and Wiley Coyote. He's always running and boom, he goes right off a cliff. And until he looks down, he doesn't fall. He's like, ah! And then and down he goes. That's... It's like P Peter's defying gravity till he looks down. In the end, Jesus says, why did you doubt? It's not like, hey, stupid, why did you doubt? It was, I believe that's an effort to help Peter learn. Why did you doubt? What happened? Oh, I looked away from you. Exactly, that's what happened. Jesus in the book of Matthew seems to want us to understand that while Peter's mind was focused on Jesus, he walked. But when it's focused on the storm, he begins to sink. Hope gets Peter out of the boat. Trust holds him up and fear sinks him. Studies have shown that the single greatest difference between those who continue to try to do something even when they fail at it and then those who give up is hope. It is hope. This is why hope is so important. One author wrote it like this. He says, hope is the fuel that the human heart runs on. I would say it's Jesus, but Jesus brings that hope. The death of hope will paralyze our spirit. I mean, hope is what makes a couple decide to get married without a prenup, right? Hope is what makes them, after years of hurting each other, decide we're going to give this another shot. Hope is why human brings, beings bring children into this fallen world. Hope is why there are hospitals. Hope is, quite frankly, why I have cheered on the Steelers since I was seven years old. Because they teach me a lot of things about hope. No songwriter agonizes over a song that, that, he, that he doesn't hope anything good is going to emerge out of it. You, you have parents, they will agonize over a rebellious child because they have more hope for that child than that child could ever imagine. 
You know the world's greatest cello player still practices five hours a day, and he's quoted as saying, I think I'm getting better. That's hope. Every character in the Bible that God uses is a story of hope. Abraham leaves his home. Moses takes on Pharaoh. David faces a giant. Job endures the loss of his family. The prophets throughout the Old Testament keep preaching the kingdom of God even though they keep getting killed. No one can live without hope. When it is gone, we are done. That is why we focus on God, why we focus on Jesus. Now, throughout the scripture, sometimes it talks about losing heart. Open your Bibles to the book of Numbers. Numbers? Yes, Numbers. Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers chapter 13, what has happened is that God has brought his people out of slavery. He has promised them a land that they will now inherit. He will give them. And so they get outside of this promised land. And what Moses does, he takes 12 scouts. He sends them into this promised land to have them check it out. And this is what happens when they come back. Numbers chapter 13 verse 27 says, And they told him, We came to the land to which you sent us. It flows with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. However, the people who dwell in the land are strong, and the cities are fortified and very large. And besides, we saw the descendants of Anak there. The Amalekites dwell in the land of Negev. The Hittites, the Jebusites, the Amorites, and all the other people's names we can't pronounce, dwell in the hill country. And the Canaanites dwell by the sea and along the Jordan. They're very afraid. Yeah, God said we could go in there and God said we could take it. But you know what? Uh, These people scare us and we don't really believe what God said. Verse 30, but Caleb quieted the people before Moses and said, let us go up at once and occupy it for we are well able to overcome it. One guy, you got got Caleb and and, uh, uh, Joshua as well. They were like, you know, we can do this. We trust God. They may be huge people in that land, but we can do it because God said we could do it. Verse 31, then the man who had gone up with him, said, We are not able to go up against the people, for they are stronger than we are. So they brought the people of Israel a bad report in the land they had, in the land they had spied out. Two guys trust God and what he said, and the other lose heart because they saw the world as being bigger than they saw their God. In 1 Samuel 17.32, David is a, is a young shepherd boy. His brothers are off fighting a war, so he's bringing some supplies to his brothers in the army. He shows up at this army, and there's a giant across the way from the Philistines named Goliath who's taunting God's people. And David's like, what's up with that? And everybody's like, we're not going to face him. He's too big. And in 1 Samuel 17.32, it says, David said to Saul, let no man's heart fail because of him. Literally in the Hebrew, this is don't have a downcast heart. Don't look down. Your servant will go and fight with this Philistine. Same circumstances with the people of Israel and David and Goliath. Same circumstances, but some lost heart and some took heart. We are to be the people who are constantly taking heart and living in hope. You know, a researcher in the 1960s named Martin Seligman, he coined this phrase called learned helplessness. What they did, they did a study with dogs, and I always wonder why researchers hate dogs so much, but did this study with dogs, and they give these dogs slight electric shocks that they had no control over. They're at random. They couldn't do anything about it. The shocks would just come basically at, at random. Later, these same dogs were placed in a situation where they could easily stop the shocks by moving over a little barrier, but the dogs wouldn't do it. Normal dogs, you throw them into the situation, they get shocked, ah, boom, they jump over the barrier. It's like, oh, okay, that's how to do it. I had to get over the other side of the barrier. But these dogs who have been shocked, they laid down and they gave up because they started to think, no matter what I do, it's not going to stop. Many people live their lives that way. They feel like I've been beaten up so much, and they simply give up. And God calls us to be a people who keep going, who keep having faith, because he is the God our faith is in. 
A few years ago, the University of Pennsylvania did a study where they more accurately based how well students would do based on their level of hope than on SAT scores. They did a study of 122 men who suffered heart attacks. The 25 most pessimistic, 21 died within eight years. Of the 25 most optimistic, only six died. Hope or loss of hope increased the death rate by 300%. So it's like I always say, it's better to eat pizza with hope than broccoli with despair. <laughs> Thus says the Lord. It's, it, it's scriptural. When you begin to see your life as something that Christ is truly interested in, your life begins to radically change because you have hope, or you should have, because you realize you can handle anything, because the question not, does not become what are you capable of. The question is what is he capable of. And he is capable of anything because he is at work in you. I mean, hope does include optimism, but it's rooted in something deeper. It's regardless of how things turn out. By focusing on Christ, you always have a deep and vital hope. So how do you do this? I'm briefly going to give this to you. How, you. how do you start to have your mind so it stays focused on who Jesus is? And the first thing you do in this is you learn how to feed your mind. Most people don't really care about what goes into their mind. We don't even think about it. But I'll tell you this. Uh, Indy, Indy car racers, they don't fill up their cars at USA Gas. Uh, a guy who's going to run a marathon doesn't eat chocolate all day. The fuel that goes into a thing ultimately affects it. When it comes to our minds, for some reason, we don't have the same care, and we throw anything and everything into it. Nothing should compare with what you put in your mind. In Philippians 4.8, Paul says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's anything worthy of praise, think about these things. Paul says you feed your minds because many times the ability for you and I to hope is going to be if our minds are able to stay focused on who Jesus Christ is. There are literally two laws that are going to govern this in your life. The first one is called the law of cognition. This is when people say you are what you think. In a sense, it's true. There's a psychologist, his name was Archibald Hart, and he says, research has shown that, what, that one's thought life influences every aspect of one's being. And I read that and I think, really? Duh. If you look at the scriptures, Jesus says this. In Matthew 12, 34 and 35, Jesus says to the religious leaders, you brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? Proud of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks the good person out of the good treasure brings forth good the evil person out of his evil treasure brings forth evil the way you think shapes your attitude your emotions your behavior this is why scripture tells us in romans 12 2 do not be conformed to this world but be transformed by the renewal of your mind by that by testing you may discern what is the will of god what is good acceptable and perfect second thing is called the law of exposure your mind will think about what is exposed to the most what repeatedly enters your mind is what you're going to think about the most when when people today are they're raised and told that everything revolves around you you're the final authority to all things we should not be surprised when people feel entitled to get everything for free if you're a parent you know what i would recommend you do when your kids get old enough you may go get a job because that helps them to realize the world doesn't revolve around me. I've got to work. Yes, you do have to work. It's, it's scriptural. We lack the national self-restraint to create a society where our minds are not saturated with self from cradle to grave. We, are, we even are flooded with sexual images today from TVs to computers to movies to magazines to billboards to posters. And we wonder why sexually transmitted diseases go up and sexual promiscuity goes up while being faithful in marriage goes down. We think we can watch things and read things and it doesn't affect us. Yes, it does affect us. 
If enough young girls look at magazine covers where models are paid gobs of money to stay waif thin, and then those same models get interviewed as experts on what makes life worth living, you send a message to all the normal people that you're not thin enough, or you're not good looking enough, you're undesirable to men, and people's self-esteem plummets, and behavioral problems skyrocket, it should not be a surprise. The events you attend, the stuff you read, the music you hear, the conversations you hold, the daydreams you entertain are all shaping your mind and ultimately your character and in the end, your hope. Because our hope is to be focused on Christ. This is why Isaiah in Isaiah 26.3 says, You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Where does your mind stay? The best way to help you with this is to meditate on Scripture. Focusing on Jesus. Psalm 1, 1 through 3 says, Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season. Its leaf does not wither, and all that he does, he prospers. Meditate on Scripture. It doesn't mean you empty your mind and go, Oh, Scripture. Oh, Scripture. When you meditate on Scripture, it means you're thinking about Scripture. So the best way to... Meditate on Scripture is to memorize Scripture. Oh, I heard this all my life. Yes, you should memorize Scripture. And the point is not how much you can get through and how much you can memorize. It's what is your mind focused on while you're rehearsing those Scriptures in your mind. When you go over Scriptures in your mind, it's focused on something different than American Idol or America's Next Top Model or Survivor or whatever it is. You know, it's focused on something different. Again, Romans 15.13 is Paul's prayer, and it's my prayer for you guys. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. This statement says that God is the source of all hope. He seeks to fill us with joy and hope and peace. That comes by believing. And his desire is that you and I should overflow with that hope. And that process is dependent upon his power. What does the mind focused on hope looks like? Well, it looks like what Peter became, what Paul became, what the entire church is supposed to become together, a people of hope. I, you know, I read this story just a few weeks ago about this lady. Uh, she was diagnosed with cancer. She had three months to live. She calls up her pastor, and she says, you know, I want these songs sung at my funeral. I want these scriptures read, and I want to be buried with a fork. And the guy's like, really? Why? Make sure you're done? I mean, what's, what's the deal with the fork? And she says, no, when I was a kid and we went, to, went somewhere for dinner, when we cleaned up all the dishes, sometimes someone would say, keep your fork. And she goes, and when they said that, I knew something better was coming because some type of dessert's coming around the corner. So when people ask why I have a fork in my casket, she says, I want you to tell them something's better coming. Keep your fork. Keep your fork. For you and I, we are called to be this people of hope, not just for the next life. It's this life. Eternal life starts now. That fork should be in your hand every day, not on your deathbed in your hand today god walks with us he offers us hope and that hope he gives to us we should then display to all those around us i will make you a promise your life will never be easy that is people who tell you oh follow jesus everything's gonna be wonderful no jesus never said that really if you follow jesus things get tough and hard and it's kind of a pain in the butt but welcome to the family of god that's that's how we live but i will tell you this he is bigger and greater than this world and bigger and greater than our lives And that is why we trust and hope in him. This is one of the reasons why every week we bring you guys to communion. 
because communion is the place where we offer and ourselves back to God who has given himself to us and we begin to live as his people of hope. We break that cracker like his body was broken for us. We dip it in the wine of the grape juice reminding us of his blood that was shed for you and I so we can walk and live as a people of hope. Uh, the band's going to come up. And as they do, we, we do invite you guys to participate in communion. Uh, we also invite you guys for prayer. Uh, I'm actually going to have Eric pray at the end of this so I can strap on a guitar and stuff because Ryan just messed me up again. But Eric and some deacons are going to be in the back. And uh, if you need prayer, if you have lost hope, if you do not know who Jesus Christ and understanding that it is believing that leads to this, then I want you to go and pray with them because I will tell you nothing is more important today than the salvation of your soul. And we want you guys to know who Jesus Christ is. Uh, so go back and pray with them. They're offering boxes on the side wall and in the back. And uh, we want you guys to be able to give. Giving is simply part of our worship, so we offer the opportunity every week. And then there's some food and stuff in the back. We're hopeful you guys can get to know each other, sign up for a gospel community, offer hope to each other. Uh, because this is what we do as, as a people of God. We offer this hope. We live and walk together. Eric's going to come pray for us. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We thank you that you give us hope, Lord Jesus, that your work and what you've done for us on the cross, your life and your death, is a reason for our hope because we can know you and we can become your children. Father, no matter what it is we're facing today, whether it be uh, issues that we've created because of our own sin or circumstances and trials and tribulations that are just a part of this life, help us, Father, to focus on you and to keep our eyes on you that we might be able to trust you for the outcome knowing that you have good things in store for us and so may we be a people of hope that the world could look at our life and look at the joy that we have and know that we believe in a God who is faithful and who loves us and who wants to know them and to draw them in as well so lead us and guide us may we go in your name we pray